Is there anyone here who... Um, thank you. Is there anyone here who has doubts about that? Um, I'm hoping that I don't need to spend much time in my uh, sermon convincing you that God is very, very generous. But the big question perhaps then is if that is the case, if God is so generous in, in pouring out his spirit and uh, that beautiful song that we just sang uh, together, my question is why is it then that there's not more revival in our church, uh, in, in our cities, in the nation of Australia and around the world? If we, uh, we come to God and he loves to give and we, uh, we want to receive uh, from him, is there something going wrong? Is the problem at God's end that perhaps he likes to be seen to be generous but then when we come and say, Lord, we want to receive uh, from you, he, he likes to sit back sometimes and say, oh no, I don't like to be told what to do. I like to be God, I like to be in charge so I'll just, I'll just do it at my own whimsy uh, as, as well. You know, it's a bit like my cat. Uh, whenever I call my cat, like, as a matter of principle, the cat will not come. Because he's educating me uh, gradually about who's in charge uh, uh, here. If I don't, if I just go and face the other way, he'll happily come and sit next to me uh, uh, as well. And, you know, is there some kind of weird power game going on uh, between us and God? Jesus doesn't give us the uh, impression that God is capricious or that God holds out on us uh, uh, like that. So what's stopping the blessing from, uh, from flowing? There are so many uh, passages uh, in Scripture, and Jesus especially, doubly emphasising the generosity of God. Uh, I love the one where Jesus talks about how evil fathers uh, can be and uh, says, don't, you know, uh, if a father, you know, the son asks for a fish, is a dad going to give him a snake? You know, if you ask for an egg, are you going to give a scorpion? I mean, you dads who are evil know <laughs> better than that. How much more then with your heavenly father give his Holy Spirit to those who ask? What a beautiful promise and so, uh, and so well put. So um, what does this mean and how do we receive uh, God's spirit? And I don't know whether sometimes you hear in, in pop theology or around the traps or in sermons uh, like this a little bit, maybe you've heard people uh, talk about the importance of being continually filled with the spirit like Paul writes to the Ephesians. It's not just a one-off uh, uh, event but we need to be filled with the spirit uh, continually. Some people say it's because... Frankly, it's because we leak. Have you heard that? It's, it's because we leak. So our bowl is perhaps not so much like a bowl. It's a bit more like a, a colander. <laughs> uh, we come to be filled with the Spirit and, we, and, 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 and God's, good, you know, God's Spirit uh, sort of leaks out so, so much that we need to quickly uh, keep coming back uh, for more. Some people think that perhaps it's a little bit like that. Another way of putting it, some people think that being filled with the Spirit is a bit like a car wash. So uh, who likes to take their car through the car wash? Don't you? <laughs> Check context here. In Adelaide we've got these things called car washes uh, and they're really great. And uh, you take your car you know, th- uh, through, the, through them and you don't have to do anything, that's really important. And uh, of course uh, you get this bright, shiny, beady, uh, uh, fresh car that, but the trouble is of course is you, you, you come out of the car wash and you drive around the corner and you drive around another corner and what happens? 
As you move around the real world, it kind of collects dust and grit, and even some of that beadiness gets, ends up getting, picking up some of the dust, and it's just not quite... Uh, that, that, that bright shininess doesn't uh, last perhaps as much as we would, uh, would like it to, but sometimes we think of, uh, of uh, God's refreshing as being a little bit like that. But then we come to a text like the one that uh, we read this morning. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This emphasis on remaining in me. So sometimes in a Christian walk we think uh, if, uh, that what Jesus is saying here is what we really need to do is to remain in the car wash. Okay, Just put it in park. Uh, there and just stay in the car wash and be constantly uh, uh, watered and refreshed and then of course your car is never going to get uh, dusty and dirty again. Does that sound like a, a good solution? Is that what Jesus uh, is, is saying here in this passage? Is that the trick to never losing your shine? Remain in me, says Jesus. So do you think that Jesus is saying here that the important thing is to stick close to him so that you're constantly in him and him in you, constantly through the day, through the week, drawing on him, talking to him, asking him for what you, you need, remind, being reminded of his words? Is that important? Come on, you didn't come to get Tim Tans, but you can put your hand up to say this is important, <laughs> isn't it? This is, this is, a, this is the central idea of uh, this saying of Jesus, I'm the vine, you're the branches. But I want to point out this morning how that's not the whole story. You see, being like this is not a problem. We're designed to leak. And if you peer really closely at the text, and I'll ask Henry to put it up again at one of the slides, I think it's the next one, Henry. That's it, that's perfect. Now, I'm a deep biblical scholar, and after much reflection on this, I'm going to give you an amazing insight into this text. Are you ready for it? This is going to be, this is, I'm sure you've never heard this before. <laughs> Here it is. If you peer really closely at that first line, Jesus doesn't say, I am the vine, you are the fruit. Do you see that? It doesn't say, I am the vine, you are the fruit. That's a really obvious thing that anyone who can read uh, can read. But it astounds me that we, especially as uh, Westerners, don't seem to get this idea of what it means to be, not fruit, but branches. So um, what is the role of branches? What are branches meant to do? Somebody help us out. Bear fruit, yeah. And they stay in the vine to get the good stuff from the vine, don't they? But it's not just for them. It's to be passing it along. And in fact, I think the first line of that beautiful song that we just sang, which I'm definitely going to steal from you, along with about 20 ideas about your building uh, here to take back to, to uh, West Beach. Uh, was that a breath of God blow through uh, us? So God's blessing uh, is not just for us, but in, our, in popular Christian, Western Christian culture, it's the way that we act. We think it's all about God and me and me and God and what God's done for me and all that he's, all he's done for me and what I can do for him and what he wants me to do and not do for him because he gave his life for me and he wants me to give my worship to him. Do you see this, this uh, idea that we've got that the practice of Christianity is this sort of personalised, individualised religion between uh, me and God and it's what gets us thinking like bowls. 
But Jesus said we're more like branches. So here's a branch that I very carefully crafted. I'm a, I'm a craftophobe. But everyone knows uh, at our, our home church, uh, whenever our kids club is doing craft, I'm at the other end of the building. Uh, so this is the best that I can, uh, I can do. But we've got to perhaps stop thinking about God's blessing as a, in terms of bowls and think of ourselves a bit more like conduits, thinking like pipes. So don't get me wrong, the uh, practice of remaining in uh, Jesus and drawing on him daily and through the day in uh, constant uh, prayer, in, in close connection uh, to him, is absolutely important and vital. Having a close and ever closer relationship with him, making time to meet every day uh, with him is super important and I like to suggest that it's even more important when you think about pipes instead of bowls. So let's go back to the bowl way of thinking. I know in the busy world that a habit that you can fall into is instead of having a daily time with God and in his word and to pray to him, those sort of habit can fall by the side and it can end up falling into a weekly rhythm where really Sunday morning becomes the time when you set aside time to, to talk to God and to hear from him as well. And we go, it's a bit like trying to eat just one meal a week. It's pretty hard, isn't it? And you come along and you're starving and the pastor stands up and says, we've got all these opportunities to serve and to help out and to do some things with other churches and to get, get involved with the school and bless the scripture teachers and all those sorts of things. And we think, oh, I'm just so starving. But if in the generosity of God, when he has so much for us, to only eat one meal a day is kind of foolish, isn't it? In a bowl mentality, you're starving yourself when there's a buffet available. But with a pipe mentality, I want to say, you double fool. You're not only starving yourself, but you are also starving others. We need to talk about what went on just over here with the Tim Tams. I've, uh, this Tim Tam table, you can see, it's, it's, had its, it's kind of had its day. It's visited many uh, churches and the same thing happens in each congregation. So I'm about to tell you off, but just kind of be slightly comforted in a weird way that other churches aren't beating you. I wish they were. I'm waiting for the first church for the, to come and make the never-ending packet of Tim Tam or run out of, uh, of Tim Tams. So who here likes Tim Tams? Who here wanted a Tim Tam and didn't get one? Who here thought that that was just for the kids? Who thought that uh, there wasn't actually really enough? So they wanted a Tim Tam but you were doing the good, uh, the self-denial uh, thing of letting other people have the Tim Tams. Is that maybe where uh, some people uh, were? Who got one Tim Tam? Who liked getting one tin? Secretly they wanted five, <laughs> but they thought that that might seem to be a little bit greedy. You see, because I'm, I'm, I'm an economist by training uh, originally and God's economics works differently to the economics that we, we are used to. In our economy, if you get more of any resource, it means that the people around you, the rest of the world gets less. And we fall into that way of thinking. And God's, the economy of God's spirit and God's blessing and God's forgiveness and God's grace does not work like that. So if you get greedy for the word of God, 
for the Spirit of God, yes, there might be some people that look at you sideways and think, oh, that's, you're a bit of a fanatic. But what actually happens is that you get greedy for the Spirit of God. The people around you don't get less, they get more. Isn't that unusual? So what I loved was right at the end, there were a couple of people who ran up the front and grabbed a whole tray of Tim Tam. Did you see that? And did you see what they did next? They passed them around. Who here thought, I'll go and get a whole tray and I'll take them back and I'll pass them up and down my row? Every church that I, I, I go to, hardly anyone thinks about that. Uh, one step further, I would have loved for somebody to come up and then take about 10 trays and think, I've got a, lot, I've got a large workplace this week, I'm going to take them in for morning tea. <laughs> and in fact, that's what I'd like you to do because that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a mountain of them underneath uh, still and we'll put them uh, in the foyer at morning tea and feel free to have one. But if anyone walks out with a stack... Don't anyone look down on them as well because if you take them to your workplace or if you take them to your next door neighbours and say, I just want to pop in and got something to to share with you, that's exactly what I had in mind uh, as well. But we get into this individualistic uh, mindset where we think that receiving from God is just for us. Do you know what I mean? So the blessing of God is always measured not in pool, it's not how much you've got, but it's measured in flow. And I want to take you through a very quick uh, tour of scripture to uh, see in how many places this idea um, occurs. And this is just a a very quick tour. So perhaps on the next uh, slide there. Uh, In terms of God's grace, what did Jesus teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our sins, please, God, because I've been naughty and I really need to stop feeling guilty and I want to be reconciled to you. He He didn't frame it for us as an individualistic me and God prayer, did he? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The next one there as well, when it talks about judgment, Jesus says, with the measure that you use to others is what will be measured to you. Do you see this idea of, uh, uh, of flow? And of course there's the story of the unmerciful servant uh, who owes the king a million dollars and has his debts forgiven but then won't go and forgive a $100 debt of a fellow servant and ends up back in jail with his debt hanging over him because forgiveness is not meant to land with us. The blessing of God is not meant to stop with us. It's meant to flow through. So the whole idea of God's grace is meant to, uh, to have this multiplier effect through us to the world around us. Just as violence begets violence and um, feuds start and uh, and... Uh, can last and last and last. It can start with one little thing, the next door neighbour, you know, borrows your hose and doesn't return it or something like that. And three generations later, there's a massive fight of the clans <laughs> uh, that, uh, that happens. And God has a plan to undo that. Just as violence and hatred and unforgiveness can kind of go viral, so is meant to the, the grace of God in his wonderful work of, of recreation. So it's in this, uh, the idea of the grace of God. That's, so the next slide, if we can, as well. It's, it's in the idea of wealth, the, uh, the material blessings that we have. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler who came and talked with Jesus? And he was really keen and, and eager. And Jesus talked with him about whether he was keeping the commandments. And if you look at the text, you'll see that all the commandments that get named are actually the social commandments, not just the ones between about honouring God uh, alone, 
but the ones about not stealing and doing nasty things to other uh, people because Jesus is poking him about this. And eventually Jesus says, oh, look, you know, it sounds like you're doing pretty good. There's just one little thing that's lacking. <laughs> Go and sell your possessions, give them to the poor and then come follow me. And I think what Jesus is kind of saying is, your pipe is blocked. A bowl, really, when you think about it, is just a blocked up uh, pipe, isn't it? And I think Jesus, so that uh, young man, was just wanting to, when he says say to him, go get rid of this possession, it's, it's just hanging over you, is uh, Jesus is just wanting to go and clear out uh, his pipe so the blessing can actually th- uh, flow through that young man. What have we got next uh, uh, on then? Do you remember the parable that Jesus taught about uh, the servant who was entrusted with a huge pile of food and drink and, uh, in a storehouse um, because the master was going away on a journey and his job was to feed the other servants at the appropriate time. Do you remember that? I think it's in Matthew chapter 24. And uh, Jesus says it would be good for that servant if the master comes back and finds him carefully doling it out to others. But the disaster falls at one moment in time when that servant looks at that massive storehouse of food and drink and everything and thinks to himself, I'm rich. This is all for me. It's not. God can bless us enormously. It's not meant to land with us. It's not meant to stop with us. It's meant to to flow and to multiply. And uh, perhaps this uh, my favourite verse, and I think we mentioned about this uh, yesterday. One next slide, please, Henry. This verse has been undoing me for a number of years now. and it's a very simple memory verse. In John chapter 7, it says that on the last, Jesus is going up to the feast, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, so the reader's meant to know there's something really important coming that Jesus is going to say. Jesus stands up and in a loud voice he says, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Isn't that great? If anyone has anyone memorised that verse, has had that as a memory verse as a kid, or it's something a verse that's familiar, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. It's just like the Tim Tam table, isn't it? Just come and, and, and receive. And we think of it as in, with our bowl mentality, and we have a whole theology out there about emptiness and fullness, don't we? About, uh, that we think that what God loves to do is to take empty people and fill them up, but we're only reading half the verse. And Jesus, if you read... John chapter 7, you see Jesus goes straight on to say a much less known half of the verse. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. If anyone believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within them. What a curious saying of Jesus. Come to me and drink, if you're thirsty, and streams of living water will continually renew you, what he says, will flow from within them. God, it would be great news if we were celebrating a God who likes to take empty people and fill them up. But there's better news. God loves to take empty people and turn them into sprinklers, turn them into fountains, turn them into springs of living water. Do you see that image? That the people, you're blessed by God and the people around you are blessed in the way that you are blessed by God. So what so often blocks us from receiving the blessing of God is that we come with a bowl and not a branch. For God's blessing to flow, yes, we need to be connected into the vine. Everything you know about that 
hang on to. That is absolutely fundamental. But our branch needs to be open at the other end as well. We need to be connected to the fruit. I wonder, are you open or are you blocked? Well, I ask that question not just to individuals but to churches because churches get blocked up and this is a big thing that we were talking about yesterday. Everywhere I go, churches want to have more musicians. Churches want to have more well-formed, discipled, spiritually mature, nice, well-behaved, tithing young families come into the church. Doesn't every church uh, want to have some you know, really great Christians come and, uh, and join them? But the question is how many churches are making them and releasing them? A short way of saying that is every church wants to get some more musicians. How many churches are running music lessons? We want them to arrive. Uh, who is actually producing them and releasing uh, them? And it's, the, it's kind of the hoarding that actually kills us and blocks, uh, uh, that blocks us up. So we talked yesterday, uh, for those uh, who weren't there, I won't repeat the whole day, but how a better measure of a church is not so much in just its size but, um, but in throughput, in, the, in yielding fruit. We talked about the, the, the fruit tree, that, uh, that the fig tree that Jesus cursed. It was big and it was healthy and we want to have big healthy churches but what if, what if you could have a big healthy church that Jesus is not blessing but cursing? What a terrible idea. So we looked at four images about sort of reimagining what does it mean to be a fruitful church and we'll very quickly run through them uh, here on screen. So Henry, what's the next one there? We talked about church as being like an extended family. Sometimes we think of church as nuclear family and the important thing is, so like, well, he's 11, it's important that he doesn't leave home. <laughs> All right, he's 11. Uh, it's important that when he goes out, that, you know, that he comes back. But if I have that attitude towards him in 30 years' time when he's 41 uh, years old, that would just be creepy. (laughs) Because when we think of nuclear family, we think it's all about keeping everyone together safely under one roof and playing together nicely. In an extended family, the natural... Everyone knows the the general idea, and there's there's always exceptions, but the general idea is we raise our kids up, we want them to mature, we want them to leave home and to start their own households. Isn't that the normal thing? And why is that the norm with families but seems to be the exception with churches? We Churches want to hang on to everyone uh, forever and we don't uh, think so much about that. The second image that, uh, up there that we looked at was the idea of universities. And so, you know how universities, they graduate uh, people. The, uh, success for a university is not trying to keep all the students there forever. Because I tell you, in a university, if no one is graduating, what, is, what does it mean? It means everyone... Is failing. <laughs> and especially the teaching staff, wouldn't you say? And yet we don't think that way uh, in churches, do we, of preparing people that they would... Church would not be just something you come to, but something that you go through. I don't say that you have a few years of church and then you stop attending. But to go uh, through and then to go out uh, to uh, a mission to strengthen plant new churches, strengthen other churches and uh, things like that. And so universities think throughput. They don't just think about... Uh, hoarding. The third image we looked at there, what if church was a little bit like a launch pad? And we looked at that disgusting building uh, there built by engineers. Uh, pretty, um, it's just very functionary. And we compared that with de- uh, an hour down the road where Disney World is in Orlando, Florida. And how Disney World is a destination where everything is just so. And you go to Disney World to go to Disney World because it's a destination. 
But Cape Canaveral is not a destination, it's a launch pad. You go to Disney World to go to Disney World, but you go to Cape Canaveral to go to the moon. And what if churches saw themselves not so much as sort of, you know, come, welcome to, welcome to heaven, you're going to be here for a million years, just settle down uh, and uh, uh, enjoy it. We had a joke at our old church about saying, welcome to Glen Osmond Baptist, we can't wait to see the back of you. We, we, we use that joke to prompt this conversation to say, we don't necessarily think that God wants you to stay here forever, maybe he does, but there's a fair chance we're going to help you discover your unique calling and shaping uh, what God's dreams are for you, we're going to help you get ready for that and release you uh, into it. And the last question there uh, we talked about was boot camp, you know, all that exercise, all that training, all those lectures, all that learning as well. And how if there isn't a sense of them being sent somewhere, how slack that boot camp would become. If you're in boot camp and you're doing all the training and all the exercises and uh, running, going through the mud and getting super fit, and the idea came about that it wasn't really any war going on, <laughs> it wasn't really for anything, you were just training for training's sake, then everyone slackens off. And what point is it in, in attending, really? And if you do uh, attend the lectures, what, what does it matter if you just sort of switch off a bit? And how churches can be a little bit uh, like that. So, um, there's, on the other hand... People do pay attention and they do do the exercise at a boot camp if they know they are going to be sent to the front. And you think, I'm really going to need all of this. I'm going to need every ounce of fitness and every bit of knowledge that I uh, have because it's going to, under pressure, I'm going to need all of that. So in a church, as I was saying yesterday, when they get to the difficult bit of Romans in the middle, you're preaching through Romans and you get to a bit in the middle, that, uh, chapter 9 to 11, that's a bit hard to understand. It's pretty easy just to switch off and think, oh, I don't really quite get that, but that's all right. The sermon will finish soon. And in, in 10 years' time, Romans will come around again. Maybe I'll get it then. But if the pastor says to you, next time Roman comes around, you're going to be teaching it to somebody else. You're going to be explaining it. You suddenly think, I've got to, I've got to get my head around this. I'd better come and ask. If I didn't get what was said in the sermon, I'd better, better come and ask some questions and find out about it. Has anyone had that dynamic in their life? Anyone been thrust into children's ministry and you suddenly have to teach a passage of the Bible you thought you knew and then you actually read it as one who needs to teach it and you realise that you haven't got it? It's amazing how needing to use it uh, calls us to uh, participation and calls us uh, to attention. So when a church stops having an attitude of hoarding and collecting and trying just to, to re, uh, retain as many people as it possibly can. It has a training and sending uh, mindset. There's a great unblocking that happens and people are stretched and learn and grow. Some of your best people, your best musicians might be sent uh, to service somewhere else and other musicians with great potential who have been sitting in the congregation just admiring suddenly need to, to think, I might be, need to, uh, to, to play, I'd better learn, I'd better step up and grow. And I mean that, of course, not just in terms of music, but in across all the ministries there are. As we trust in the generosity of God and are less fearful about holding on to everything, less fearful of losing the things that we've got, but generously pass them on, trusting in God to, uh, to refill us, what can happen... And this is my prayer for you, for New South Wales Baptists and South Australian Baptists and all around the world, is that once again our movement will return to being a movement 
The church will no longer just be a, a thing which is a bit of like a static religious institution, but a dynamic movement of the Spirit of God which he first planted and which we first received. And just imagine drinking deeply or greedily almost in the right sort of uh, uh, greed, not just for yourself, but that streams of living water will flow uh, to many others abundantly for you, for your families, for this neighbourhood, for your city and for the world. In the power and the generosity of the living God, may it be so. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for all the ways that you demonstrate your love for us. You are the great shepherd. You are the great father. Help us to receive from you and not just to receive from you but to become like you. To grow up in all that it means to be in Christ and to become generous like you. Give us that deep trust and assurance that we need not to cling to all the things and the blessings that you give but to cling only to you and to be free to receive your blessing and to let it flow. Heavenly Father, even today, even this week as we go out into the workplace, into our extended families, into all the places where you call us to set our feet, Give us opportunities to show your love, your generosity, to give and to trust in being renewed by you. May your honour and your kingdom and your glory be continually increased because it's for that that you you call us to produce abundant fruit. And we thank you so much in the wonderful, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.